on this episode of That Was a Show. Going Places was a show. In fact, it was part of ABC's famous TGIF lineup during the 1990-1991 season and lasted just 19 episodes. It was about two brothers from Chicago who moved to L.A. to take jobs as TV comedy writers and move into a house owned by the show's producer. Also living with them are two women who also write for the show. Hijinks ensue? Going Places stood out as a workplace comedy for adults as compared to the more typically family-oriented shows in the Friday night block like Full House and Family Matters, the mainstays of TGIF. Bryn, Aaron, and Barry get in an old convertible, drive down to LA, and run out onto the beach at sunset, which will make sense once you listen to the episode. <laughs> we grew up during peak sitcom, Seinfeld, Friends, The Fresh Prince, but those shows were diamonds in the rough. This podcast is not about those diamonds. It's about the rough. Some sitcoms were briefly popular in their time, some were cancelled almost immediately. You probably won't recognize most of these, and you'll ask, that was a show? That was a show? The podcast about failed or forgotten sitcoms from the 80s and 90s, starring Bryn Burney, Aaron Yeager, and Andrew Helmer as Barry. A Radio Gizmo production. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hey, what's going on? Hey, Aaron. Hey, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'll be able to talk more in this episode than the last one. My voice is still rough and not fully recovered, but I think I should be okay to, to officially yeah, ho host hope. an episode. Let's Sounds just, a lot you better. Know, don't uh, don't do anything strenuous. Don't get too worked up. Yeah. <laughs> well, luckily, this is a very low stakes show that we're reviewing <laughs> this episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard to imagine anybody getting overly excited talking about this show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <sighs> it's uh, sure. Yeah, it's an interesting get into one. It, Aaron. Uh, yeah, it's, your, get, it's an Aaron pick. I'll get into it. Dive on in. <laughs> Have a little sip of water first. It is an Aaron pick. That it, that it was. We are reviewing the show Going Places. So here goes. In the 1990 to 1991 television season, Miller Boyette Productions ruled ABC's flagship Friday night lineup, better known as TGIF. Shows they were producing held all four primetime slots at the same time. Shows you've all heard of, including Perfect Strangers, Full House, Family Matters, and oh yes, one more show that you may not have heard of, Going Places. <laughs> With an all-star cast, including Alan, Connor Roy slash Cameron Fry Ruck, <laughs> Heather Locklear, Jerry Levine, Hallie Todd, and Holland Taylor, Going Places is about four TV writers in L.A., Ruck and Levine are two brothers who move out to California together to take an opportunity writing for some sort of hidden camera prank show called Here's Looking at You. Holland Taylor is the producer of the show and puts them up in a house with two other writers on the show played by Locklear and Todd. There isn't much more to say about the plot of the pilot other than Alan Ruck's character Charlie being surprised to find out 
that their contract on the show is a four-week trial run. He left a job in advertising in Chicago to take the gig and is upset that his brother Jack kept that information from him. So there's a lot of bickering and brotherly fighting between them throughout the episode, wrestling around on the floor like kids and whatnot. Meanwhile, Heather Locklear's Alex is positioned as the sexy co-writer slash housemate, and Hallie Todd's Kate as the standoffish and difficult housemate. So there's that. All four of them struggle to come up with a concept for the next prank episode, and end up pulling an all-nighter, during which there are many moments of interpersonal conflict, and eventually they land on an idea. The idea is that a woman is in line at a movie theater. Another woman cuts in line in front of her, and wins a huge cash prize for being like the millionth customer of the theater or something like that. So the woman they're pranking is pissed because she feels that she should have been the winner, and then they point to the hidden camera and she has a good laugh. So they're all happy they pulled off a successful show idea, and now they're all stoked to be living together and run out onto the beach at sunset. <laughs> so that is the, the plot of the show and of the pilot. And uh, yeah, I believe it lasted 19 episodes. There was a major retooling after, mm -hmm. after 12. Uh, so we watched the pilot as well as episode 13, which is the first post-retooling episode. We'll get to that <laughs> later. Uh, but that's never a good sign. And yeah, uh, yeah um, I've got some, got some thoughts on okay. this one. Okay, well... Mm -hmm. Got yeah. a lot of problems with you people, and yeah. you're, yeah. tonight you're going to hear about exactly. Them. I mean, if if anyone out there doesn't know, like Miller Boyette, like Aaron listed some of their more famous, uh, like and successful shows, but they were like the kings of like <laughs> the sitcom in that era. Like they had like a whole dynasty, and like you know, it's a Miller Boyette joint when there's like the uh. Like the Jesse Frederick score with the sassy saxophone that we kind of talked a little bit about way back when we had Jonathan Wolf on. It's like kind of just one of the tropes of that era for for sitcom uh, scoring. Uh, and also the the one thing I noticed was like the font in the credits is like the same in all these Miller Boyette it uh, is. It is. It's like it's, so it's like going back to like it's like a real like Wes Anderson only using yes. Futura for the first little while in his yeah, career. Yeah. 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 yeah they, it's so funny. They definitely have a style. Um, the opening titles in general. Oh, you could cut them all. You could cut all of those opening titles of all those shows together yeah. and you could just peek, pick shots from each one of them and yeah. you wouldn't lose a step. Yeah. yeah. These were the most archetypal cliche late 80s, early 90s sitcom titles ever. It's yeah. basically like watching the basis for every parody joke about sitcoms yeah. of that era. Same with like like the visuals of the theme. It's like it's all the characters turning to the camera and waving to someone off camera. Yeah, and it's you like know? off. It's like off putting to see Alan Ruck do it for some reason. <laughs> yeah, like it he he like he looks terrifying in the opening yeah. credits where oh, he like turns around. He's like, oh, yeah. there you are, and you're just like. You like, think he sees you. He also has an early 90s mullet, which is very off-putting. So yeah. it's so it's like funny, but it, it almost crossed over into yeah. not even being funny anymore. It was so, 
so of it that was, style. Yeah, there's a weird there's there's something I couldn't quite put my finger on about the credits that like just sort of weirded me out. Yeah. And it was just like, I don't know, like the looks on their faces because they're none of them like there's some there's you know, it's Miller Boyette also had like, you know, uh, a, an air of sincerity to their shows. Yeah. Uh, but like in the opening credits, like they all look way too happy and you're yeah. just like this isn't really the tone of that them in the show yeah yeah like yeah. you know they're all sort of like you know panicky and like you know full of anxiety all the time and yeah. then you get to these credits and it's just like well that's one of the reasons it's an outlier because when you think of all of the other miller boyette shows at least the successful ones they generally skew what we would call family shows and yeah. and family is in not just like G-rated, but like literally where it's about a family or the yeah. intention is that the whole family can sit around and watch it together. And this show in the like age of the characters and the style of humor and the subject matter feels more like it's the kind of show that you would have expected from NBC at the time. Mm -hmm. Like more like. But it has no edge whatsoever. No, but no edge. <laughs> no. But no edge. Because it feels like, what if you had a show like, you know, like, obviously the, the, the archetype would be Cheers and there's been a thousand pitches of like Cheers in a whatever. So it's kind of like, instead of a bar, it's like a group of people who hang out wherever. So it's yeah. kind of like, what if it was, you know, Cheers in a sitcom writer's room sort yeah. of situation you can imagine. So right off the bat, this show feels like it sticks out like a sore thumb from the other shows in their lineup. And even the fact yeah. that it was like a TGIF show, I'm like, what? Did I read that right? Yeah. Like, that doesn't sort of quite make it sense. It sort of makes sense in that maybe they're wondering if there's uh, a demographic they're missing. And mm. they're like, we're killing this night. Maybe we can kill it a little bit more right. if and and I noticed that this is the nine this was the nine thirty one right right uh, so this so is the this more is the adult one, one yeah. Or, right yeah but they so should they have were like, known though that TGIF was for kids and families like they, well, I'm later sure they I, do but I'm sure they did but they yeah. probably maybe they noticed a drop off because kids are going to bed and stuff yeah. so they're like we we want to win this half hour right. so Man. like maybe we you know the kids are in beds and the parents come back and they watch their they watch their going places. Yeah. And then and then the parents come back and they watch a few minutes of it and they're like, you know what? Nah. 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 And then they, you know, and then they leave the TV on until 2020 comes on. Yeah. And then there you go. Yeah. You know, you still. Um, yeah. I mean, look, we have to get into some of these weird themes because. Yeah, well, we'll get into the actual. Uh, like. Uh, you know, so the show opens with the two brothers driving to L.A. And uh, they get it looked pretty expensive. That was the one thing that struck me is like the driving scenes. And then there was that one big exterior scene right when they get there. That seemed very expensive. Oh, this show has yeah, but, multiple but, helicopter shots. But then they yeah. Yeah, but then they never uh, they never went outside ever again. Yeah. Yeah. No. I guess yeah. after that. Um, they, that's called I'm sure you've noticed by now in pilots. It's often common to spend a little bit of cash on some exterior shooting in your in your pilot. Yeah. Right. Uh I'd like to point you out that the people. Uh, I uh I was actually pulled over by the LAPD for an illegal left turn where I didn't notice the sign oh. until it was too late. So that that actually did happen to it me. It happens there. to that's like a trope for people who aren't from LA yeah. that show up in LA and try to drive. Yeah, cuz it's yeah. I guess so because I experienced it so it, it, obviously I be I believe that it's common enough 
But yeah. it could have happened it, to them. It's great because they're driving like a classic convertible yeah. too. And you're just yeah. like, because everybody like it, it stuck out to me in that like it was a really cool car. And like, I don't know fuck all about cars, but I was like, it's a gorgeous car. But automatically, I'm like, why do these characters have this car? Yeah, because yeah. they're supposed to be have like, yeah, they're supposed to not have had a big break yet. And they're coming from Chicago. And, you know, there's a crack about how Charlie had this like promising career in advertising, but he really just like worked in the mailroom in a, for an advertising firm. So it's not like they're like rich or successful. No. Like this is like their first. And how and how do they get like a gig like that immediately? Oh, it's great because like, it's like the it's the it's the nineties like TV in LA yeah, it, and you get it's a 90, job. 90s TV America where you can't walk down the street without getting offered a job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's I, I found that weird and just like the whole okay, yeah. Like we have to talk about the whole specifics of it all. So basically they get offered this job, and not only do they get offered this job, they get a house to live in. <laughs> it, it feels like, like maybe like it's they a had Roman like board eight, sort of situation. They had, yeah, they had like eight eight pilot scripts. And they like just sort of mashed all the premises together. Yeah. So basically they find out that they have this housing and it's like this gorgeous, like huge house that they get to live in that's owned by Don, oh. the boss. And this is the, an important like executive producer. And this is an important point about this because Hol AKA Holland Taylor. Holland Taylor, because yeah. we've called out this trope multiple times before. So she's the like woman in charge of the show she also owns two houses including the her house and then the one that she's putting up the writers in and she got these predictably she got these houses two giant houses as part of a divorce settlement which is such a predictable trope in these shows where yeah. when there is like uh like a woman who's like in charge of the business or yeah. like the producer mm -hmm. of the show or mm -hmm. whatever that she got her wealth or power somehow as a result of a divorce from some yeah. asshole guy that you never met. It, it couldn't meet. just be just be that she's a successful producer exactly. yeah. in Hollywood. It couldn't just be exactly. that she earned it and is Why successful. Why do you own two houses? And you're yeah. like, well, I wasn't questioning that until you questioned exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. I would have completely believed that she's a successful producer. She bought two houses, but no, we have we have to establish that she she yeah. lucked out on getting them in some sort of divorce or but something. Like it's weird though that she would hire these people and like allow them to like live in like and but on a temporary contract <laughs> on a four week. <laughs> so I guess the whole thing is like okay. I guess it, it makes sense if it's temporary at first, because then that way they're not finding a place to rent if if the job doesn't work out or whatever. It's shaky. But it, the it's whole just thing like way is more, weird. She, it's way more like she cares way more about the people than most of these people in these positions would would yes exactly it's it's a i don't very, want them to be out i don't want them to be out of a home yeah it's very contrived the whole thing is very very contrived and like of course it has to be a situation where the two guys are shacked up with these two women that they're meeting for the first time and they're all around the same age so there's the potential for you know romantic tension and like well, it's just the about, whole thing is how about the shot where they silly. introduce Heather Locklear's character. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're like the, Alex with and... the caboose shot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> okay, You'll... that was like a very sixty-year-old the... man with. I love that. Was, that was I, the I, point. I, 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 the I, I'm sure I just, that I just... I'm sure that's how Mr. Producer brought it exactly. up. No, you I... got to introduce her with a big caboose. Yeah, no, no, no. I very intentionally used <laughs> that word because I assumed that whatever producer or writer pitched we're that gonna, for the episode, that's how they show said. Her hiney. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I assume that's how it was figured out in their writers' Poor room. Heather Locklear. She's better than that. I know. But um, it's, you know, it, yeah. So the whole thing is like, oh, like the whole joke is like, oh, some guy named Alex are going to have to work with. And it's like, no, it's a hot blonde named Alex. And e- even if you hadn't already watched the opening credits, you were like, OK, we we get it. It's yeah. going to be a girl. And then Kate, the other writer, is like positioned as kind of a battle axe and a difficult personality who doesn't get along with other writers and other writers got kicked off the show because they couldn't work with her. And I'm like, I don't really see that. She doesn't even seem that difficult. No, she doesn't. I saw that because there's a moment right after they meet her where like there's kind of like a oh I can't wait I can't believe we got to work with her and I remember just like, being Why? like what did she, I was like what did she do <laughs> she came she came in and made a joke she you guys are writing a, you're writing a comedy show so, I all I know about her is that she knows how to tell jokes already yeah. so seems okay seems fine yeah. I'd like to introduce a new type of very broad wide reaching trope okay. from sitcoms of that era I've never brought this one up before. But we've always caught hints of various versions of this. And what it is goes kind of like this. You have some aspect of a character that really there isn't enough evidence to support. But what they do is they just build it into the way other people react to that character or they build it into the dialogue and expect the audience to just buy into it. And I'm going to call this the leading the witness trope (laughs) where... They're just telling us (laughs) verbally. They're not expecting us to like figure this out, but they're just essentially explaining to us, this is how you're supposed to see this person. She's, this one's difficult. This one's hot. This one's this, this one's, and so I was going to say, there's another example of this trope. So in addition to saying this woman is difficult or standoffish, Mm -hmm. and there's nothing in her behavior whatsoever to serve that point. But they just tell us that. So we're supposed yeah, to just absorb that like, that's yep. what she is. There's another example later where there's uh, Heather Locklear's character makes a reference uh, relating to her being thin. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't remember Oof. the other. I can't remember the Oof. other character's name. Um, Kate. Kate, Kate and Alex. Kate and Alex. So Alex makes some reference about being thin. And Kate responds with some sort of line of dialogue that suggests that she has been like putting on weight from eating too much ice cream or something. I forget the exact so, description. Uh, one of the subplots is Kate is quitting smoking right. and it references yeah. that uh, she's eating a lot of right. ice she's cream to smoking. get her yeah. through it. Yeah. And then Alex mentions that she herself quit smoking and... And she ballooned up to 109 pounds or something like that. Yeah. Some, it was 103. 103. But anyway, in, in not a joke you could do now. No, danger. But, I also like it's danger. Danger writing. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't don't put a number on. No. Don't send they everybody. They do that a lot. Yeah. Even like even like as recent as like 10 years but, ago, you'll watch old sitcoms and they'll be like, "Oh, I don't weigh that much," and it'll be such a low number. Exactly. And it's like actually looking at that actor, they probably weigh. 
way more than that. Like, fuck I, right off. Like, I don't know why, but it was always something that stood out for me. The original Batman back in 89, there's a, a line about where yes. Kim Basinger says she's 108 pounds. And then Michael Keaton's Batman is like, I, you weigh a little more than 108, I think. And you're just like, Jesus Christ, guys. Yeah, like, don't anyway, put it. Anyway. They, they love to put numbers on it. They love to put the numbers back, back in. And, and like, like but ridiculous but, numbers. But what I was yeah, going to say is, in that addition. don't make any sense. No, but in addition to how offensive that joke is around Heather Locklear and the implication that 103 pounds is big for her or something, like, a, yeah. in addition to that, it's the fact that um, Hallie Todd, right? That's yeah. the other yeah. actress. Yeah. So Hallie Todd's character has a response that suggests that she is you know, has gained all this weight from ice cream or whatever. I forget the wording of the joke, but I'm like, you're also very tiny people. Like, yeah. so built. I mean, this could be a whole this other could, podcast. Yeah, this could be a whole other talking podcast. Talking about the unhealthy body. But I guess the point I'm trying to make. Things that are brought in yeah, any sitcom, in even any now. Sitcom, but the point yeah. I'm trying to make is, and we saw it in Friends, we saw it in Seinfeld, we saw it in every yeah. sitcom of the time. So it's yeah. not just this show, but the idea that we are, to be- we are made to believe that the Kate character is somehow overweight when she's rail thin. Mm-hmm. And the reason we are to believe that is not based on anything we can see, obviously, yeah. but it's based yeah. on this joke, this line of dialogue. Mm-hmm. So in addition to, so now we're being told that she's not as thin or as attractive as the other character there and we are being told that she's difficult yeah it's literally the only difference between them is that kate is brunette (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) it's so so weird it's so weird because the show (laughs) so codes alex's and don't get me wrong it's Heather Locklear, so the audience she, knows yeah, it's Heather she's, Locklear. You know, she's, she's already she was famously an attractive yeah, lady. Yeah, she's already, you know, she's come off five years of TJ Hooker already at this point. Like, America knows who Heather Locklear is. Yeah. We know she's attractive, but everybody on screen is attractive. Yeah, So exactly. it's like, yeah. don't... Yeah, there's no reason to not assume that the other character is attra- is attractive too other than they're telling us the audience by the way you're not (laughs) supposed to think that this woman's attractive and i'm looking at this i'm like like how do you come up with this stuff there's an interesting aspect to locklear's performance that i maybe was reading Mm -hmm. into or picked up but there's so much of this shit in the script about her being the hot girl or people not really taking like not really knowing you know just basically that's her thing and there's a whole lot of her not rising to it like there's a lot of her like just sort of like hearing somebody say something and then just immediately moving past it with a joke or like Mm -hmm. uh they 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 the first idea they want to do is to get her in lingerie uh and like she's immediately like fuck off like yeah like and like that i noticed that a few times where like she's just I don't know if it's like obviously it's in the writing, but there's a lot in her performance that is sort of like I'm I'm over this. Yeah, like let's like, stop. I'm, I'm yeah. a writer on this show. I'm here to yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah, it it you know you know we've talked about how successful hangout shows are successful in part because it feels like everyone there is friends and they like hanging out with each other, and we like hanging out with them because they like hanging out with each other, and this mm-hmm. show. It, I mean, obviously, they're starting off with the premise that these people are all just meeting each other, yeah. like that the two mm-hmm. brothers are meeting these two, two women for the first time. So they don't know each other yet. But it feel, there's a 
feeling of discomfort yeah. in that house that doesn't seem like it's necessarily well, intentional. It's, you're being forced to be with your coworkers 24-7. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's a very toxic situation. Yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't that's feel... That's like taking that whole, oh, we're a family workplace thing to the, like, extreme yeah. degree. Yeah. Like, it's a very, very toxic situation. Yeah, it doesn't feel comfortable. It's like one of those, like, Gen Z content houses that exist where Ugh. they make them all live together and make TikTok videos. Gross. Oh no. That's that, a thing. That's a thing. Oh no. It's like, e yeah. Even when you were saying it, I haven't heard that. But as you were saying it, I was like, that makes sense. Yeah. That it's like these that mansions, tracks. these mansions in LA, like where like a group of like 20 little like digital creators under the age of 25 live together and they're all in each other's videos and stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, so they're like, G-rated cam girl houses, basically. Exactly, exactly. Wow. It's wild. Um, it's it's very it's a weird, but yeah, like I just just the the whole the fact that number one they got housing was weird, and number two that the whole thing is like we're just gonna work you twenty four seven, and like it's so basically what they're creating for this sitcom is a workplace sitcom as well as a hangout show as well as like it's like all these like different things and together. And a family show because there's two brothers. And they tried to have a touching moment with the brother. Oh, that was <laughs> so brutal. Just, like, that was so weird because yeah, so the whole, the, the first episode kind of ends with like, you know, the whole thing like Charlie Alan Ruck is threatening to leave, uh, but he can't leave until Thursday, so he agrees to work until then. Uh, and then, you know, they pull off their, well, some could say they pull it off. I, I, I would have gone back to the drawing board on that yeah. idea. <laughs> um, they pull off the show, and then, like, uh, Charlie and Jack? Yeah. Jack? Jack must yeah. be Jack. Jack comes in and Charlie's packing and like he's like, you're just going to leave. And he gives like this really touching speech, except it's not. <laughs> yeah. But the the the, the uh, music. The cue music. Yeah. The music goes believe, hard. <laughs> would yeah. make you believe yeah. that it's a touching. It's, it's the kind of touching. Sentimental brother moment. Yeah. The touching music cue that you expect from the third act like, of Full House. Full House. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but meanwhile, you're like, I don't care about these people. This plot is preposterous and I'm not I'm not sentimental. Yeah. I'm not feeling it. Can we talk about the fact that, OK, so they finally came up with their great idea. But like, how did they not come up with something sooner for that type of show? Like, you would think that between the four of them, they could come. Like, this is not a scripted show. Like, this is not like, well, like it is a scripted yeah. technically. But it's like, I could see how it would be a struggle if it were like a sitcom or something. But like, all you had to do is come up with one segment for a dumb prank show. And it took you literally all night. And that's what you came up with. <laughs> well, it's great. It's, you know, four people came four up with. I, I've talked about this before. It's like, you know, it's the, it's the studio 60 thing where yeah. like you're, you're watching people put together a, a TV show and you're told that these people are like great at what they do. And then you see what they do and you're like, this is terrible. Yeah. And you're like, maybe just don't show me. Yeah. Next time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You don't show or me the end 30, result. Or 30 Rocket and make it comically terrible. Yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. That's Thir true. 30 Rock is the version of this show that works. Yeah. Oh, 100%. This is, yeah. it's, we get this a lot and it's like, 
we've we've done a few of these Hollywood behind the scenes Hollywood shows at the, and this has got to be the one that is like the least on the pulse yeah. of what the jobs are like and you always wonder like how do people in hollywood make a show that has no idea what it's like to make a show in hollywood <laughs> yeah that yeah. part is weird like one of my notes was like early on I, I just wrote like are these jokes because it was so <laughs> unfunny but then i'm like a lot of pressure when the show is about comedy writers so yeah. when you tell me the show is about four comedy writers if you're not making me laugh within the first minute You've got yourself a problem. Also, yeah. I was kind of I was kind of surprised that none of the characters were like stand-up comedians. Yeah. Because that's often the trajectory. Even in those like reality shows, there's a lot of like actual comedians or Absolutely. improvisers that yeah. do that work. Yeah. So Funny I, people. I was very yeah, I was very surprised that they all just were random. Yeah. Like they're working in if, advertising and got that there job. Has like, to what? Be some, that makes no there sense. There has to be some cut lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, maybe. About because you get the like for A, for A, or for one, whatever. <laughs> uh you get like a brother a two brother package. Yeah. Why are they a package? Like yeah, they're they're, they're writers proven. partners, but if they're not writers, yeah. how do we know why are they writing partners? Yeah. So clearly they have done work together. Yeah. Clearly that you know, may and all it is is like just toss off me like a, you know, oh, I saw your guys play back in, you know, 95. Exactly. It, exactly. And then that's it. They did a play Literally. that went and nowhere. And they're from Chicago, famously the home of like the original Second City. And, yeah, like, they were in Groundlings you know, or something. Like, like you come know, on. give us something. Give us something. Yeah, the whole thing was so weird. And like, not only were they writing for it, they were also in the segments themselves. And how would that work for prank show? Like. Because the people would stop being pranked after a while because they would recognize them. You know, okay. I know they did the same kind of thing in like Punked or uh, those shows from the early aughts, but they would always be in elaborate disguises oh. or they had <laughs> other people that were like. We did now, too you know, much. I, I'm Actually, thinking, yeah. the, the first... I don't want to be. I don't want to be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah. Sorry, we're all laughing at the same moment because we literally started thinking about the same. I think you should leave sketch that this yeah. like reminded us of. That's the caliber of prank show that yeah. they're doing yeah. here. Well, so, and that's like when yeah. Alan Ruck starts pitching his idea and he uses like an <laughs> old man voice. Yeah. All I was thinking about was this, and I was like, Yeah, oh man. So anyone out there who's who's not familiar, <sighs> it's like from season what what's the third season of I think second season. Second season, Second of season. I, th I think you should leave. Like it's Carl Savick. Carl Havoc. Car yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. the character. The Carl Havoc. Uh, um, sketch. Sketch. Yeah. We're basically it's like a fake prank show, like just like this one that we're d describing now. And in a mall. It, and they decide to like put all these prosthetics on Tim Robinson to like make him look like this like annoying old man, and it's he he ends up being a total like looks like a complete looks, monster. And like it's like the worst prosthetic job yeah, you've ever seen, the worst disguise you've ever so seen. He's so physically uncomfortable in the prosthetics <laughs> that he has a panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> it, that's like the sketch that I laughed like I've I've had one of the biggest laughs I've I've had in a long time when I saw that reveal of the 
that you character. said you thought it was funny i said i thought it was interesting, interesting. yeah aaron and i say that all the time <laughs> all now the time. that's now like a, um, a catchphrase oh but, man but anyway so yeah i immediately thought of that when i thought of the, when they finally revealed their big idea same and, same <laughs> but it's like it's so it's it's the whole thing is like preposterous like so we're supposed to believe that going forward they're going to be writing and performing in these and and if they're performing, okay, fine. That's another reason to be like, oh, they're they're all sketch comedians. They're all former sketch comedians, or they're all stand-up yeah. comedians. Like they have some reason that they would be asked to also there, perform. And there like, is you... no evidence in this show that any of these four people are comedians. Yeah. No. It, you it's, get it's very in, bizarre. In Alan, in Alan Ruck's performance, you get. He does voices. Mm -hmm. So maybe right. there's something there. Or if it's just out, because sometimes it's just Alan Ruck delivering a line in a funny voice because he's Alan Ruck, right? You, I don't know why the character's doing yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so my favorite note, though, that I wrote for this was like, it's like watching an SNL sketch making fun of an old sitcom crossed yeah. with a VHS tape of a workplace sexual harassment PSA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. about as funny too. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Okay, and then we also have to like talk about how Stacy Keenan was wedged into the whole thing. So yeah, like she, the I, random I guess teenage neighbor M M Miller Boyette was just looking for a place for her, I guess. Because after this was uh, step by step. Yeah. Right, like the next season. So. Yeah. yeah. So they had to have a teenage neighbor because, like, oh, te precocious teenagers, like you gotta have them. Yeah. This show. And, 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 and again, just like no point. This this character has no place. Yeah. In the script, because she's the next door neighbor. I thought at first it was gonna be the daughter of exactly John's character that because she's so the next door neighbor yeah. and she's the next door neighbor. And I get that you know you can have two neighbors, yeah. but it just seems like weird. That it would not, not be yeah. her daughter because that would have made for all kinds of fun dynamics, right? You know, yeah. like she maybe she's like annoyed with her mom because her mom's always working and having these random like people come live there and like, you know, and like it's just, yeah. I they, don't know. They also Miller Boyette didn't know that you didn't need a next door neighbor character. Like I, thought, yeah. I don't no, think they knew it's, you could it's get. It's almost like they have this bingo card yeah. that they have to like fill. You like have to. Yeah. they just have to have certain tropes. Like it's a requirement for they the, for a show. Yeah. Nobody yeah. told them. Yeah, no one told them. Like, wait a second, who's the Urkel or who's the Kimmy Gibbler or who's they the... missed that? But they she's that not one... annoying. She's just they a missed normal that one girl. class. Yeah. That yeah. one class where it was like on the chalkboard, where it yeah. was like not just a neighbor. Yeah, Shh. not necessary. They didn't. They, did, they didn't go to that one. Um. Yeah, um, by the time they get to that scene with the two brothers fighting and playing basketball and the two women eating chocolate, I wrote down, I'm so bored. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when, they yeah. had the, when they had them splitting off into those separate parallel It's in You know, scenes. it's interesting. Uh, if anybody's ever, like, worked uh, with... In on a creative, uh, in a creative way, uh, with a pair of siblings who are, uh, like a package deal, that's you see some of that. That's you know their dynamic is pretty realistic in that, and clearly this is based off of you know somebody has worked with a writing partnership that are brothers, right? Yeah. Uh, 
I I obviously have uh and I I saw <laughs> some of that, but like it was just like it I was know who you're yeah. talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like they're a pa- they're a package deal. You gotta yeah. you know. And sometimes you you step away when when they're having their own little fights and go yeah. over there. Mm-hmm. You just um, let them fight it out. Yeah. 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 So by the time, I mean, you know, I don't know if we're ready to move past the pilot. I think we are. Let's I, leave it I, in I, I, I guess we are. I'm just checking if I have any pilot leftovers that are critical. Um, not really. I mean, not much happens. So. Not, yeah, not that much happens. I mean, you already mentioned this, but like how the emotions they lay on really thick at the end, yeah. trying to get it to be this sentimental thing. It's just it's not working, and then it's terrifying. It's yeah. terrifying. Yeah, it's odd. Uh, yeah, it's, if you, you do, you want to go into episode thirteen? Yeah, as far as far as a retool goes, it's very organic and it works. And I was like, if this show wasn't working, they could have done this a couple more times until they found something. Right? Like it because you, your core thing is just these four writers living together. Yeah. I mean, right there, that's a better show where you have four writers living together trying to make it and they just yeah. keep getting put on different shows and getting fired or the shows get canceled. Yeah. And you do it like Murphy Brown's secretary where they're just getting bounced around every yeah. few episodes to a but, new thing. But why would the four of them then become a package deal? Why, why anything, though? You why know, anything? Why, anyway. why, I mean, why, obviously why, it's stupid. Oh, oh. Yeah. Why Why anything? Yeah. But Sorry, here. I got I to gotta turn a light on. It's become really dark in here suddenly. Well, sure, it's 4.30. <laughs> so, episode 13. Yeah. In what amounts to a pretty significant retooling of the show midway through the first season, the network within the show cancels Here's Looking at You. The four roommates immediately land on their feet, getting offered a new job, (laughs) collectively as a group, as writers of a daytime talk show with an arrogant pain-in-the-ass host, Dick Roberts, played by Steve Vinovich. Philip Charles McKenzie plays the show's nervous, Pepto-Bismol chugging producer, Arnie Ross. For the first episode, they land an interview with a controversial, reclusive author named Jerry Slaughter. Yikes. Played by Dave Grow. Apparently, there are people out to kill this guy, but we don't know anything about what he writes or why or why they're out to kill him. So again, just telegraphing that to us and leading the witness. Um, I mean, I, I think he's I think he's just a very clear Salman Rushdie stand-in, right? I mean, that's where my mind went to, but I just feel they could have they could have taken that setup a little a little bit further. Anyway. Um he arrives at the studio and then disappears shortly before he's supposed to go on the air. Nobody knows what he looks like, so Alan Ruck's character, Charlie, goes on the show posing as him. But then, during the live show, the real Jerry Slaughter comes into the studio and right out on stage. I guess he left to get a sandwich or something. So the studio audience finds this all quite amusing, and in this regard, I think we, the real-life audience, differ greatly. So Dick Roberts is happy and they all keep their jobs. They all run out onto the beach at sunset. Roll credits. Yeah. Did, did you did you forget a, a pretty substantial part of, <laughs> uh, of of that? No, no, no. I remember the very substantial part of it. I just feel like it's best addressed by the three of us discussing it. <laughs> okay. So yeah. So, so this Sal- Salman Rushdie or Jerry Slaughter, if you like to call him that. Yeah, the yeah. controversial author. 
Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know how to put this delicately, but the whole the whole thing is that he his disguise He's for, in hiding. He's so he's, he's in, in hiding. hiding. Yeah. So, when he appears in public, again, no one knows what he looks like. And he keeps it that way by wearing a very specific disguise, which for some reason is him in drag. And now this is like, by all accounts, a cisgender man. And he is just in drag because that yeah. is his well, chosen. It, it, what, it was 1991. So Who hilarious. Knows? Hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the- just. A, and then so. Jack's character, or, or Jack, when he goes on to pose as him, is also in drag. They make that very specific yeah. decision to put him in drag yeah. as well, even though no one knows that aspect of him. Exactly. Like, so the note that I like, put when I was watching it was, uh, so this is some sort of Mrs. Doubtfire type of thing yeah. that they're doing here. Yes, it's, oh, we're, a, it's fully- we're proto, we're proto Doubtfire. Yeah. But the thing is, for Doubtfire, he was posing as that woman. I know. This... Not just choosing a disguise that happens to be women's clothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. It's, it's very, very ridiculous and nonsense and wouldn't be done today for a number of reasons for the risk of offending anyone and the risk of, like, you know, playing into bad, you know... Uh, just it's it, I'll say it's interesting in that despite the 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 problematic nature of the of the concept didn't really make any any remarks about it that I it's, was it's uh, true it's overly true worried they about. somehow I was like on edge the whole time yeah, watching yeah. Oh, it yeah. I was very yeah. worried yeah. about yeah, what this they was like a real like oh Aaron you didn't you didn't you didn't go this no you, I, you, didn't, I didn't, you didn't go deep it. into the it, he yeah, didn't go yeah. deep enough into this clip. No, no, <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. Um, but <laughs> but um, luckily, it wasn't anything. Yeah, it's it's conceptually offensive. Luckily, there wasn't sort of dialogue or jokes that kind of went too yeah, far off God, the rails. But thank God it was a Miller Boyette production, and everything was kept very family uh, friendly, yeah, and exactly. nobody nobody was getting too edgy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but the thing that. I found really like obviously that was like a weird choice and a stupid choice, but it also doesn't make sense for the era because in that era they would do like those interviews with people who were on the lamb or on the run or in hiding. They would just blur them out. They yeah. would just like do them, film them in, in silhouette. like the dark room thing. Sure, yeah. sure. And they would like they would disguise their voice. They had ways of yeah. doing that but back then. I don't know why. This, but this, this is the premiere show, yeah. so they want their get their first guest to be out there right. with the, the thing. All these ideas feel like they were written by the actual characters on the show. Yeah, yeah. Like but, all of these were written at three a.m. because they had to get a they had to do a retooled yeah. script by yeah. the next day. Yeah. There's another really big structure flaw in the concept of that joke and I don't know exactly how to explain this other than like the talk show host that we are introduced to and the kind of shtick that he does in front of his audience and the way the audience is always poised to laugh and smile and act silly and the way that he he feels like he's more of a comedic talk show host right like the the talk show I don't think you said daytime. I think he's a. I think it's supposed to be a late night well, TV show. No, no, the the well, 
the official sort of description of what it yeah. is online that I read describes it as I a daytime I remember them saying it's show. daytime. It's but, live somehow, but, but um, that doesn't make any sense. But anyway, <laughs> it's it's this type of guest. Let's say it is some sort of Salman Rushdie type of yeah. author coming out of hiding as a recluse for the first time in five years, living in some cabin in the woods. No one knows what they look like. Half the world is out to kill them. They wouldn't make their first big like this was supposed to be a huge get for them. Like this is his first big public appear appearance speaking about his work and stuff like that. It yeah. wouldn't be on Leno. It wouldn't yeah. be on a funny, fun, whatever, laughing jokes, monologue, audiences laughing sort of show. It would be on like fucking Barbara Walters or something like yeah, it, it's, and it would be a very controlled a situation controlled... where there's not a live audience no. in 90. Yeah. In 1991. Yes. In 1991, I feel like now now they go on. Lineup. Well, maybe <laughs> now. Who knows? But like in 1991, it would have been well, Colbert um, in in a very. Yes. No live audience. Very controlled. The host is a serious journalist, not yeah. some sh silly guy doing shtick and dancing around. The idea that this is an appropriate guest for this show makes yeah. absolutely zero sense. So yeah. that it really you, does. When you layer no. on top of that the the drag and the jokes yeah. around that and everything, it's just I want to pull my hair out where I'm like, how this is this was a bad idea that you pitched. Throw this away and come up with something better. This make none yeah. of this makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. It, <sighs> the retooled idea of them working uh, on this show is a fine idea. It's the subject of the show that they're doing that you're just like, you needed another idea. Yeah, you needed something else. In that first episode, they have Dawn back and basically she hooks them up with the job because the sh like the show, like the here's looking at you got canceled and she makes reference to the fact that she's still going to be their landlady. Yeah. So is she still on the show no. or not? I read that she wasn't on the show but after But then this. why would they have her on for one more episode? That's so weird. Who the hell knows? Contract. 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 Yeah, but like, is that, that, that shitty scene, for her? That, well, I'm sure she was given the choice whether she wanted to hang around or not. Yeah. She's hauling Taylor at the, yeah. right? Yeah. It, uh, the, the thing that main problem I have with the new concept is, so you got, you know, you got their new boss. Who's pretty funny? He works, uh, but then you got this talk show host, and you're constantly told, "Oh, he's so difficult. He's so difficult. He's not funny, and he's not yeah. like he doesn't. He's so like family friendly, difficult. Yeah, that you're yeah. just like this isn't a fun character. Like yeah. he no. comes out and like he's like, I want your lunch, and you're like, that's not funny. Like you know, this yeah. is you, you. I know what this character is supposed to be. Yeah, and yeah. it's not this. Yeah. So and he's not good. You're right. That's yeah. yet another example of leading the witness of yeah. us being yes. told this guy who you're about to meet because we meet the the showrunner producer whatever first who's yeah. chugging yeah. Pepto Bismol and stressed out of his mind mm -hmm. and ta and 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 it's coming out that this guy the host of the show is difficult and then they don't pull they don't pay that off yeah. like no. give me your lunch what a lazy gag like yeah. what is happening here. It's, yeah. And we're being told that, like, the reason this is supposed to be a funny situation, the four of them managed to land this new gig writing for this show. The tension is supposed to be around the host. Yeah. And whether he's, like, difficult to work with. 
But in this first episode, let's call this a, a, a pilot 2.0, because this is the mm -hmm. first episode after the retooling, the tension is around losing the guest. Yeah. Has nothing to do with the host. And in the end, the host is super chill about all of their fuck ups. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, like uh, this, this character needs more. Like <laughs> I want him to, you know, to go with the era, like this character needs to be Alex Rocco. Right. Like it needs oh, to yeah. be like a big, a big performer yeah. uh, who steals every scene he's in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they needed a they needed to bring in a ringer for this yeah. for yeah. this character. Difficult would have been if they busted their asses to write and prepare a really excellent episode of a show mm -hmm. with multiple guests and a monologue and everything like really like, you know, four mm -hmm. people working two days straight. Really yeah. put together something great, line up a great guest, and then the host just starts freewheeling and like skips one of the guests and doesn't bring them out and runs too long in the monologue and gets rid of half the jokes and does his own thing and mm -hmm. throws away the cue cards and and yeah, like a really big personality host who just kind of shits on all of the hard work they put in and does his own thing or mm -hmm. something like that. That's where the tension needed to be. Yeah. But, and we need to be able to believe that these four people deserve this job. So they mm -hmm. have to be at least somewhat decent at this job. And we have to believe that this host is difficult to work with. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they give us none of that. <laughs> it's so weird because it's just like, and then like they're in this office, they have this brand new office set where we're clearly going to be hanging out a lot of the time. These four writers, and we've seen this in both these episodes, they're just like slobs. Like them working involves mm -hmm. them throwing every piece of paper on the ground to show how hard <laughs> they've been working. Yeah. Uh, and they, they do it in both episodes. Like it cuts to later on and it's just like there's all these this just paper everywhere because they've been working so hard. But like nobody else works on this show. Like the show only employs four four writer producers and that's the whole show. And then they go out and there's like a crew and shit and you're like, where the hell were they all day? Like where are all these people? Yeah. Who uh. who is involved in the production of this show? Yeah. Uh that they're allowed to like freewheel it as much as they are. Uh it it doesn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> no. The, everything feels like a stretch in this yeah. show. Everything feels like an idea written on the back of a napkin and then not paid off. I don't know. Yeah. And then everything has to be so zany. Everything has to be so silly and zany and they try to bring so much physical comedy into it. Yeah. With yeah, like but that guy who keeps tripping and falling into things. <laughs> <laughs> Who was that guy? He looked really familiar. He got a he got an and in the end credits, so I felt like he was Wait, which I don't know. guy? The young guy? Yeah. I didn't even I can't even remember the character's name. I don't even think I included him or Artie in the spin-off well, later. Because he I was well, just bored. That's fine. He well, Artie was at least a main character. This guy wasn't. He didn't make the opening titles. Mm. So what um, hold on, I'll, I'll look let's it up look real this quick. Up. I'll, I'll, you go talk amongst yourselves. Amongst myself. I was actually kind of excited to review this show because I thought, oh, it's going to be a meta show about TV writers. But there's very little of that in this show. You get yeah. very little well, of any of the experience of being a TV writer. It's also like weird that they chose that those kinds of television shows. Maybe it's because they didn't want to give too much inside baseball on sitcom writing. So they went with a different type of 
TV yeah. show or something. But, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, first, I, you're right. I went into this thinking I was going to see sitcom writing. So that yeah. was already a disappointment. Is the character named Nick? More, oh, Morty. Yeah, you're right. No, I mean, I, I don't know. It was interesting to cover just because, like, you threw this at me <laughs> and, you know, you've got... It's got Alan Ruck, it's yeah. got Heather Locklear, it's got Holland Taylor, yeah. and I've never heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, why I picked it. I, I looked at the like cast. I, I looked at the cast. I've heard of the show, but I didn't have any reference for what it was. When, when Aaron, when you brought it up to me, I thought it was a different show altogether. Yeah. I was like, is it no. the one with this theme song? And he's like, no, no, no. Yeah, I didn't look too deeply into it before I chose it, but I was just like, Look at this cast. It's a TGIF show. Look at the year it was on. It's about TV writers. I was. Did anybody I, get the theme stuck in their head? Going places, <laughs> blah blah. Um, yeah, with such a sax- sassy saxophone. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the episode 13, there was another one of those sentimental endings. I forget how this one played out, but my note was like, don't do that. Yeah. Don't try to wrap this up with a sentimental uh, that, ending. That don't one do that. hit me. That those that one hit me a little easier. Uh that one is just them saying, like, you know, like, I can't believe we pulled this off, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, you know, but thank God we landed on our feet. And like one of the characters being like, Yeah, it's you know, it's really great that we're all still together. And it's just like Aww. I like I do like them as a as a unit. I do like that they have you know all the awkwardness of them in that first episode is gone by this episode, and they are just like this is what they want to do. They want to work with their three friends, uh, and they want to do it together, right? Like them them being successful involves all of them being successful together. I like that. That's fine. Didn't play nearly as false as <laughs> like Jerry Jerry Levine pretending to love his brother yeah <laughs> well yeah i guess that's true oh there was there was something i was gonna say oh yeah this goes back to the pilot but that that thing where the two brothers had that weird little song that they would do oh yeah when they were like we trying got, to come up with ideas yeah. for the show what is it we got to start working or i hated that i get to work i hated that so much yeah i hate got it lots of work to do go uh, so, i don't know it, it, it was, was it was like a very perfect strangers type of they thing. had this weird little brotherly yeah. inside joke song that they would do it was so annoying i couldn't I, yeah. like ugh, no terrible that's 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 what it's like working with siblings though <laughs> oh going places going places um, going places so he, here's the place where we're gonna go oh, we're gonna boy. go to how this show connects with friends okay all right i mean there's a lot of connections it was actually kind of like overwhelming because there's all these connections within connections so it was very hard for me to focus and it might be fun for anyone out here who listens to this to kind of like do their own branching off connections uh, from the ones that I call out. But uh, I guess we'll start with, okay, so Holland Taylor. So Holland Taylor, who played super producer Dawn. Um, so she was in the movie Legally Blonde with Reese Witherspoon, who guest starred on Friends. So Holland Taylor is also on The Morning Show 
with not only Reese Witherspoon, but also Jennifer Aniston. And Jennifer Aniston, of course, is Rachel Green on Friends. Um, what else? Stacey Keenan um, was on My Two Dads, as everyone will remember, um, co-starring Giovanni Ribisi. Giovanni Ribisi had a recurring role on Friends as Phoebe Buffay's younger brother. So also in My Two Dads with Stacey Keenan was, of course, Paul Reiser. Paul Reiser, okay, we'll start with this one connection. There's the bigger Mad About You connection, but we'll, we'll oh, start no. with his cameo <laughs> on Friends as Jamie Buckman, his Mad About You character. So that's like a two-degree connection via Paul Reiser. But then there's also the bigger <laughs> Mad About You universe. Don't do it. Don't yeah. do it. So... She, you know, Stacey Keenan co-starred with Paul Reiser on, Ma- on uh, My Two Dads. Uh, Paul Reiser co-created, starred, produced uh, Mad About You, which co- um, had F- uh, Lisa Kudrow in a recurring role as none other than Ursula Buffay, who was the twin sister of her same character and friends, Ursula Buff- er, Phoebe Buffay. So you yeah. don't say. Yeah, you don't say. So there's a lot of like these wild mad about you connections um because Alan Ruck a- actually guest starred on Mad About You as well and like a lot of people were on Mad About You. Um so yeah, so there's tons of connections within connections within connections on this sh- particular show. There's other Alan Ruck um connections as well. So he guest starred on Cougar Town which starred Courtney Cox. And Courtney Cox, as you all know, it was Monica and Friends. Alan Ruck also guest starred on another Twas show, uh, the famous Teddy Z, which co-starred Jane Sibbett. And Jane Sibbett had a guest, or, or sorry, had a recurring role as Carol on Friends. Um, okay, Alan Ruck was also in the movie Twister with Helen yeah. Hunt. <laughs> oh, Helen no. Hunt starred in um not only starred in mad about you alongside uh lisa kudrow but she also played her mad about you character on friends so there's all these crazy connections um and then a lot of these actors in going places reunited and co-starred in other sitcoms which we'll get into in the spinoff um, okay, there, there's all kinds of like interesting, fun little trivia. It's a big, big uh, run of connections. Yeah, so people could really go down a rabbit hole on IMDb with this one and check out all the like, like there's like probably like a, a very dramatic web of connections to Friends and some other iconic sitcoms mm-hmm. of the time. Even though Going Places was sort of like a mysterious entity to us that we didn't really know much about it literally touched so many other psychotic like psychotic Psychotic. iconic iconic sitcoms and iconic like actors Mm -hmm. so it's it's interesting i'll just throw this in there now because mine as well uh as we uh, often have a segment about friends it's probably a good point to bring up now that uh it, it, it just you know within the last week or two yeah. of recording this uh mm-hmm. we've lost matthew perry yeah, who died R. very R. very matthew young perry. yeah uh and uh you know it's 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 that that's a real loss to the sitcom world for sure mm-hmm. uh so 
Yeah. R.I.P. Yeah. Matt Perry. It's, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of jarring that like one of those actors who we always think of as this like young, like charismatic yeah. person because they're sort of frozen in time as Chandler Bing, you know, and you, you sort of think even though we we're all aware of the, the sort of struggles he's had off and on over the years, um, you know, you just you don't think that it's going to that he you just think he's going to be around forever. Yeah, it's weird. I, so was it's sure, very sad. I was sure that there was nothing in the world that could stop the dump trucks of money from from doing some form of friends reboot. Yeah. And yeah. I would I would say that this is the one thing that will stop those drop dump yeah. drinks of money. Yeah. I don't think they'll Fraser it and do it no, without I don't cast think so members. Either. Yeah. 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 It's worth reflecting. Because you kind of need all of them. It's worth reflecting on, yeah, his his amazing contribution to comedy. I mean, he you know, as obviously all of the characters on that show were, you know, wonderful, funny people and all of those actors, but you know, there was something about Matthew Perry and the Chandler character that was very much like he was a comedic anchor. A comedic anchor, yeah, comedic yeah. anchor because to the show. Because he sort of like his whole like way of uh, like his like way of delivering lines. It influenced everyone else. I think, yeah, like his ta- mm-hmm. specific timing, his you know body like, language. I, yeah, I do think it did have an influence on the other characters. And I think of all of those characters, his was the first to really have a very specific, um, yes, I like, would say, uh, yeah, persona. Mm-hmm. And then they all kind of developed their own personas as well. Yeah. But I think his was the first standout performance, honestly. He's really, yeah, he's really firing out of the gate on this one. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's you know, oftentimes while we're doing these shows, we run across uh, these actors and other things. And Matthew Perry was somebody who kind of came into Friends, and you know, so we don't have a lot of uh, other opportunity after Friends. He had uh, other other shows, and you know, during yeah. Friends, he did a couple of movies. But it is very unlikely we're going to run across Matthew Perry in any of our. Uh, that was a show. Yeah. No. It's, so yeah. yeah, he's very, very definitively known for that show and for that character, yeah. and it is such a larger than life character and yeah. performance. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. R.I.P. And you know, if anybody's out there looking to watch something, I always throw out Studio Sixty because he's uh, very, very good on Studio Sixty. I mean, that show has a stellar cast on oh, top of it's, him. It's, it's, in, like, it's incredible. And you know, it's only twenty-two episodes, so yeah, it's not enough to get. Right it. It's not enough to get sick of. Uh, is it streaming air, air, somewhere specific? It is absolutely not. It yeah. is buried. It is one of those buried? lost. It is one uh-huh. of those completely lost shows. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. All right. Let's do the spinoff. Right. So, yeah, there's lots of like fun sort of connections um, over the years. Like one little bit of trivia. Both Hallie Todd and Heather Locklear played um, a character that was the mother of a, a Hillary Duff character. So... That's funny. Oh. And then a lot of them, I feel like there was like a lot of these actors showed up in either a Lizzie McGuire <laughs> show or movie or Hannah Montana. <laughs> so they they were like all popping in to these like tween shows off and on over the years. 
Um, so in terms of going through each kind of uh, performer, well, I guess we'll start with Jerry Levine. So um, soon after his time on Going Places, he was in the ensemble of another short-lived sitcom called Muscle, which I think we should really uh, cover at some point, which Great also co- co-starred Alan Ruck. So, <laughs> Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these people couldn't get away from each other. They all were in a bunch of stuff together again. I actually again. didn't realize how many things Alan Ruck did. I know he's like he's been around. He's been like doing his rounds for years and years. So Jerry Levine also guest starred on Seinfeld, uh, Boy Meets World, Providence, Will and Grace. He's now mainly a TV director. So he's directed a lot of uh, like his two major sort of shows that he's done a lot of directing for are Hawaii Five O and uh, Elementary. And Aaron, you'll find this entertaining. He also was like the main director of that short-lived Jason Alexander show, Hit the Road. You know, (laughs) I don't think I've ever seen an episode of that show. No, you tried to watch it, remember? You tried to make me watch it, and I was like, this is not good. It's like the one with the um, Hit the Road. It's the one where he's like the dad of a Partridge family style. Oh, that recent show, you mean? It's a recent show. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So it's a recent show um, where he's basically the patriarch of a family that is like a 21st century partridge family like a traveling they have like a traveling family band and it's like a dark comedy uh so but i've never really watched it there it didn't last very long yeah i don't uh, think anybody did yeah and then so next we'll go with uh stacy keenan you know, we've talked about her quite a bit, like in some of our other episodes, especially the My Two Dads um, episode. She was basically like a darling of the Miller Boyette world. Like they slotted her into this show following um, her time on My Two Dads. And then when this show didn't work out, uh, she they just put her right in as uh, Dana Berger <laughs> on uh, Step by Step. And she had a really like long and successful run on Step by Step. Um, Hallie Todd um, co-starred in um, like a lot of different kind of short-lived TV series. Um, This one, I also think we should cover. It's called Life with Roger. Uh, It also seems like a fun kind of like short-lived romp. Uh, As like uh, I alluded to earlier, she played... Um, Lizzie McGuire's mom on both the series and the movie, Joe McGuire. And according to her website, CNN named this character one of the top 10 best TV moms of all time. So that was a pretty impactful, like, sitcom mom, apparently. But I've never seen an episode of Lizzie McGuire, so I wouldn't know. I think that's a little, you know past our time like maybe some of our younger millennial listeners would know that show uh a a little more so she has also not acted a ton in recent years but she formed a production company with her um husband and daughter called in-house media film partners uh which seems to focus on christian content so Kind of a different world altogether. Um, Holland Taylor, already an icon. We, you know her, you love her. We've talked about her many times. Um, soon after her time on Going Places, she hopped onto the cast of The Naked Truth. 
kind of a similar character. Like, yeah. obviously, this version, this Dawn is like the G-rated ca- version of her, n- the Naked Truth character. Um, like, kind of a very successful, ruthless media uh boss but in this show she's way more way less deranged (laughs) and way less uh jaded um she also had a long running um stint on the practice two and a half men and um what else i mean the show mr mercedes it was like a stephen king series i think it's still going i don't i can't i'm i don't quite know Um, oh with brendan brendan gleason yes I don't think so. I think it's countless done. other te- uh, films and TV shows. As I mentioned, she's currently on uh, the morning show. Her character had a kind of fun arc this past season. For anyone who's watched it, you'll know what I'm talking about. She, her character basically gets kind of canceled in a dramatic way. Um, and then Heather Locklear, of course, uh, uh, as we've already discussed, she was a huge household name. She had been on TV for years. She was sort of like very much in everyone's living rooms for decades at this point. Um, soon after this, she played herself a couple of times um, in movies. And uh, one fun cameo was in Wayne's World 2, where she played herself. Um she- and a few late years later, she took her iconic role of Amanda Woodward on Melrose Place, which was like a long running, successful uh, primetime soap. And then she also joined the cast of Spin City, where she reunited with Alan Rock as well. So after Spin City, she recurred on a few other series, um, one called LAX, which I assume is a procedural about LAX Airport. I have no idea. She was also in the series Franklin and Bash and Close to Home. Alan Ruck, who we also kind of rant and rave about. like All you con heads out there. All you con heads out there. Uh, he was also, as I mentioned in the show, Muscle, which I think we should cover. Uh, Mad About You. In the in a lot of films as well, including Twister, um, he was in Spin City, he was in Cougar Town, Persons Unknown, The Exorcist, and of course, he had the iconic role of Connor Roy on Succession. I think probably my favorite sibling in the uh, Roy family. <laughs> I think that that Connor Roy, it was a real like Alan Ruck is just this immensely talented performer. Uh, yeah, that pretty much everybody knows it, but he never really gets his due, right? I, I agree. And, Con- and Connor Roy, I think, is that thing that pretty much everybody had like the same reaction, which is like, finally, yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. finally, yeah. this is something, yeah, <laughs> yeah, finally, like somebody, you know, he beside, was also you know, really good in the dropout. Like he did a couple episodes of the dropout, including one of the most humorous episodes. The you yeah. know which one I'm talking about, yeah. Aaron, with like several like just a parade of like very funny actors playing really dumb white men that get outsmarted by you know the uh, Amanda Seyfried uh, <laughs> version of. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, that role in Succession was it. It it felt like pop culture was having a moment where Alan Ruck was finally getting recognized for 
the like real yeah. versatility of his performing skills finally where where there's a character where you're like okay we're finally getting to see the way that he commands a room and because it's like it's it's a character that's like comic relief but it's also a serious character with layers at the same time so yeah going places is a per is a perfect example for like you know we've been talking about this show for uh over an hour now and you know, we've mentioned Alan Ruck is in it. We've talked to, we've said a few complimentary things, but this is like really just a show that is not, you know, there's a reason we haven't talked too much about him in this because it's, it's, this is not the one. This is not, <laughs> yeah, this is not yeah. the, you know, like you're happy he's there. He's the show's better for him being there. Yeah. But like it, this is not the show for him. Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> he's there. He yeah. says the lines. He does the thing. <laughs> he does the things that he was hired to do. Yeah. But for what? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we've kind of remarked on how this feels like the kind of show that perhaps Mr. Producer would have pitched back in the day. <laughs> um, you know, so I think it might be a, a good uh, good idea to check in with him in case he has well, some insights on this one. And also, he was so worried about you last episode, so you got to be able to, he's got to hear your voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, let's give him a call. Hello. Hey, Mr. P. Aaron, my boy. Oh, it's so good to hear your voice. How are you feeling? Oh, you know, on the mend. Hey, thanks for those peppers, by the way. Oh, you got them! I sure did. <laughs> so this week, we were going to talk about the 90s sitcom Going Places. You know, Alan Ruck, Heather Locklear. Ah, and the incomparable Jerry Levine. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I guess he's not comparable. I remember that one very well. It was a nice little slice of the daily grind of Hollywood in those days. I guess. You see, back then, it was just very common. To just put your whole writing staff in one big sitcom family house. It was? Oh, sure. Hell, they stuck me, Matt Bopp, and David Ogden Steers in a suburban ranch style the whole back half of 92-93. Really? What were you working on? Ah, nothing. They just had a sticker somewhere. <laughs> but that is where I came up with the idea for Three's Company. Three's Company? That show that came out in the late 70s? Yes, well, uh, I was informed of that later, but it was still a hell of an idea. <laughs> okay. Uh, can you see any reason why going places didn't go places? Ah, ah that's cute. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things. They tried a light retool, didn't quite take. I think I would have gone with something a little bit more dramatic, you know? I don't know, off the top of my head, like an animatronic camel. You know, you move it into the house, give it some funny hat. Maybe it romances Alan Ruck, you know, it's got the big cartoony eyelashes fluttering. Maybe Jerry Levine's character's none too happy about said puppet human relations, and, uh, well, they didn't really go for that. You actually pitched that to them? Yeah, well, yeah, Matt Bopp invested in a company that produced animatronic desert-dwelling animals back in the late 80s, so <laughs> I was always trying to find a place for them. You know, pitched it to pretty much all the TGIFs, step-by-step, step, and a camel. Family Matters, and also has a camel. Full House, made full of by presence of camel. Boy Meets Camel, that one almost went somewhere. Interesting times. <laughs> that they were, kid. Well, I'm glad you're on the mend. Uh, I, I guess until next time. Thanks. Bye, Mr. P. 
There, there, that was. It would have been great to be a fly on the wall in that house. <laughs> I hope we one day get to actually meet Mr. Uh, Mr. Bop. I'm sure he's wondering why he hasn't met you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was a show. That was a show. Yeah. Going it was. places. Going places. Going places. <laughs> going places. I wouldn't mind running out onto a beach at sunset right now. Yeah. Yeah. It is pretty <laughs> cold and dark. Yeah. I did. I like to. Uh, uh, we'll call it a leftover, but yeah, the the end of the pilot is very literally Heather Locklear's character running in saying, you guys, stop whatever the hell you're doing. There's a beautiful sunset outside, and they all run out on the beach in a big, beautiful helicopter shot, and then that's just the end credits every <laughs> single episode. Every episode, yeah. So Because every... adversity does not, does not touch these characters. No. Like, yeah. that nothing ever goes wrong it's for them. It's pretty low stakes. They they fall ass backwards into new jobs and homes like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, I guess uh, cue the sunset and cut to credits. <laughs> that was a show is created and hosted by Bryn Burney, Andrew Barry Helmer, and myself, Aaron Yeager. It's a production of Radio Gizmo in Toronto, Canada. Subscribe, rate, review, and share. Follow us on Instagram and tell your friends about it. That was a show. Radio Gizmo.